Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. So today's sermon is going to be unmasking God. Now some would say, well, God's too big to put a mask on him. What I don't mean is that you can do that literally. What I mean is, is that there can be teachings and a culture that puts a mask on God to make him look like something that he is not. Our first sermon in this series dealt with unmasking the devil. He's not as mean as he looks. Oh, he's mean, yes, and we see the effects of what he's doing in the world. But the Bible says to a Christian, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So through the word of God, we took the mask off of the enemy he is not your friend and everything he entices you and me with is to kill you is to destroy you and ultimately upset your eternity but at the same time today I want to unmask the idea of God my prayer Man, I feel the weight of this. I feel like, I don't know, ladies, I don't know what birth pains feels like, but I feel the groaning in my spirit to deliver a word to you this morning. I pray you would lock in with me for the next few moments. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to just hang this here. This is not the appropriate mask for today, but it is a mask. I'm going to set this up this way. And I know we just sing some amazing songs about the love of God and the beauty of the Lord. But we sung a song today that dealt with the holiness of God. I don't know what your ideas of holiness is. I don't know what your thought process of what it means when you hear that God is holy. But to a frail, flawed human, the idea of holy, I'm about to say something right here and you need to catch this. The idea of perfect holy should strike terror in your heart. I'm convinced that no human being without the blood of Jesus Christ and without the grace of God could ever stand in the holy perfection of the presence of Yahweh and live. So let me say this. God is more terrifying than you think he is. Now what I don't want to do today is leave you with the eye. Some thought that God is not loving and caring, but I need you to have it in proper balance. 
So are you in Matthew chapter 10? Say amen. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the Holy Word of God. Verse number 26. The Bible says, Therefore do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him. Is that, is that him capitalized in your Bible? Anytime a reference is used toward God, most translations has the personal pronoun capitalized so that you can tell a difference between him and him. Him is small. He is great. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows would you just stretch your hands this way and pray for me and let me pray for you Father for the next few moments I'm asking you for Holy Spirit power to communicate in a way that goes beyond the ears of human beings into the very soul and heart of the seat of their identity I pray that you would help me to speak absolute truth and not of my own I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would forever change our lives. I pray for judgment day honesty. And I pray for the holy light of God to light up our soul to the innermost part. I ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Now, before you're seated, you might need to help your neighbor a little bit because they're going to get shaken for just a few months. So go ahead and shake them a little bit and kind of get them ready for this. You and I live in the Western 21st century world whereby the idea of God is swiftly changing. It is on an evolutionary path that changes based off of the culture and oftentimes changes from church to church. It is folks' thought process about God. It's the way people process God. When I share with you the word God, what do you think of what comes to your mind? And what comes to your mind, is it biblically true? Or is it a passed down tradition is it an idea of what somebody told you? When you think about God, 
when you think about how he's revealed himself, do you have a biblical foundation, a true, honest biblical foundation? Or do you just have some ideas of stuff that you've liked that people have said over the years and say, well, I like this about God. I like that about God. I like this about God. Now, I don't like what this dude said about God, so I'm going to reject that. I don't like what these people say about God, so I'm going to reject that. I don't like, and it's like a smorgasbord. It's like a buffet. You go to a buffet restaurant, and every individual's plate looks differently. Somebody likes salad. Some people don't like salad. Some people like ranch dressing on it. Some people don't like it. Personally, I want to be buried in a bucket of ranch. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. Some people like Brussels sprouts. Some people don't. Some people like broccoli. Some people don't. When you go to a buffet, it gives you the opportunity to pick and choose exactly what you want. And oftentimes, we treat God just like that. We hear a conglomeration of messages, and we tend to pick and choose what we want. If we're not careful, we'll read the Bible in a way where we think we can pick and choose what we want. But God doesn't separate himself in such a way that you get to pick and choose what you want. If you want his love, you've also got to have his judgment. If you want his mercy and his grace, you also have to take his truth. God doesn't divide himself up so that we get a chance to create a God of our own understanding. You know that that is what happened in the Old Testament times and many in the New Testament. People build a God of their own understanding. And that's why God gave us the Word of God so that we could understand when God was giving the Word of God throughout the ages, He's revealing Himself in His character, in His nature, and in His identity. And we don't get a chance to change that. In our Western view of God, God seems soft. If you listen to a lot of today's worship choruses, a lot of today's preached messages, God seems more like a teddy bear than a God. Some things that you hear, God, it almost seems as God is intimidated by man. It paints the picture that God is needy. God longs for your worship, friend, but he doesn't need it. When we say that God is self-sufficient, he does not need one word. He does not need one thing from you or me. He is all-sufficient all by himself. He invites you into him so that you can experience him and you can experience his glory, but he doesn't need that in order to be glorious. Today's God seems mushy. He seems to have no standards, tainted even, if you will. 
not to be taken serious. More like the big genie in the sky that we rub on when we need something or we find ourselves in trouble. This Western view of God makes him what we want and literally masks the God of the Bible. It cloaks him with an identity that he didn't give himself. It creates a view of God that seems more like our buddy than our God. Now, he has revealed himself as a friend. But we, again, tend to swing the pendulum as he's only a friend. God is 100% your friend, but he's 100% your judge. The God that we kind of have picked and, picked and chosen today is, there, is a God that we have in our understanding, our thought processes, but we don't want him in our conduct. We don't want him in our wardrobe. We don't want him in our gender. We don't want him in our sexuality. We don't want him in our thoughts. We only want him in our family when it's in trouble. We only want him when our life is upset, but we don't want him to be involved in the way that he wants to. We want him to bless us and take us to his heaven when we die. Friends, this is Western Christianity, and it is not biblical Christianity. The God that I understand in the Scripture is the God who requires and wants it all. Some people call Jesus Lord and Savior. And people will say, I have made him my Savior because I believe in him, but I've yet to make him my Lord. Let me tell you, that is Western ideology of God. It's 100% false. If you die with that understanding, you'll go to hell for eternity. Oh, I'm trembling, man. Some people have an idea of God that God is an affirmational inclusionist. Affirmational inclusionist. Someone who includes but only affirms rather than transforms. God is a transformational inclusionist. What is a transformational inclusionist? Now, first, let me just clarify. Both terms or both ideas have the idea of inclusion, meaning God wants to include you in on what he is about. In other words, he's still saying, whomsoever will, let him come. But the difference is in the affirmation or transformation. Affirmation says, I'll take you as you are and affirm you as you are. Transformation says, I'll take you as you are, but I'll renew you. I will transform you into what you are not. 
And some people don't like that. Some people want God because there's a great benefit in knowing God. But they don't want to be transformed. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians that if you're in Christ, all things have to pass away and all things become new. That is transformational. That you put off the mindset and you be transformed with a renewed mind. That's transformational. The veil was torn. We just sung, the veil was torn and the doors fling wide. I see glory as I run inside the throne room. True, the throne room is open. The veil is torn. But when you come into the presence of God, God says, I transform you or you don't have me. I transform you or you don't walk with me. Transformational inclusion says God has the right to be God, to transform me. And we know what he's transforming us into, the image of his dear son. He's working a work in our lives whereby we become more like Christ. So in this passage of Scripture, I want to share something with you, a thought, an idea here, that when we read in the Matthew chapter 10, that whole phrase of not to fear them who cannot kill the, that kills the body but cannot kill the soul, rather him who can kill the body and soul and cast it into hell. Let me give you a thought and an idea. Listen to this very carefully. Jesus is not saving us from the devil. He's saving us from the vengeance of the Father. Jesus is not saving you from the devil. If you're in Christ, you take the authority he's already given you over the devil. What he's saving you from is the vengeance of the Father. Some of you are not getting that. In other words, when you get to the end of the story, anybody ever read the book of Revelation? God is judging humanity both small and great, ancient and present. He's judging. He's judging. And in that judgment, family, friends, he's judging the world to the standard of his holiness. And Revelation 21 states, and I'll get to that in just a few minutes, but states that in that judgment, everything that makes a lie, everything involved in sorcery, everything involved in sexual immorality, everything involved in all kinds of, and he lists the sins there, idolatry, every one of those fall under his judgment. When it falls under his judgment, the penalty is eternal damnation. So without transformation, there is no transportation into his eternal kingdom. It's tight. I knew it was going to be. So in essence, Jesus is saving you from the vengeance of God. 
And the Bible says there's nothing hidden. Nothing. You can hide stuff from mom, dad, your spouse, friends, co-workers, boss, neighbors, but nothing is hidden from the eyes of the Almighty. Nothing. And it either gets hidden and buried in the sea of forgetfulness through the blood of Jesus or its penalty remains upon us. In our 21st century idea of God, you hear a lot about the grace of God these days. I love the grace of God. I have been saved by grace through faith and that not of myself. It is not of my works, not of your works. I am thankful for the grace of God. But we have even remade the whole thought process and idea of what grace is all about. As I've told you before, it's almost as if the 21st century American church has so perverted grace that we think it's a cover-up so that we don't have to be accountable for our own decisions and our walk before God. Grace covers it. Man, I've heard these stories before. I've heard people say, well, everybody sins every day, I, you know, and, and nobody's perfect, and we all need the grace of God, and, and, and this is just my vice. This is just my sin. So it's almost that people have the mindset that since no one can be perfect, since no one can live up to the standard, that the way I'm going to appropriate grace in my life is that I know my weaknesses. I'm going to go ahead and give in to them, but I'm going to let God's grace sweep it under the rug for me. If you die with that thought process and your sin is not forgiven, you'll go to hell for eternity. The grace of God is a real thing. John, 1 John teaches us that if we say we have no sin, we're a liar and the truth is not in us. But if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness who is the propitiation for our sin. Let me tell you how that's appropriated. It's appropriated for the Christian who honestly loves God, who pursues God with all of their life and makes mistakes from time to time. God's grace is available for that. But for the secret sinner who has the idea of God, who maybe even goes to church and thinks, I will live this thing to the best of my understanding, but I'm going to give permission in some area of my life to continue in sin, you have no right to that scripture. Can I read a lot of scripture to you so you shall believe what I'm saying? Not just hear my words. Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 26 through 31. Maybe you've never read this in your Bible. Maybe this is one of those that you kind of just delete or jump over, but I want to read this to you. 26 through 31 says, For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. 
Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Watch this. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose we will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God under feet, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insult the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Friends, listen to me. Let me help you real quick. That is New Testament doctrine. We have so separated Old Testament and New Testament that we don't know really how to rightly divide the word of God so we think everything pre-Matthew doesn't matter and some things post-Matthew only matter because there's a thought process that says if the Bible would have been written in a more contemporary fashion, some of the things that is forbidden in the Bible would not be forbidden today. What a lie from hell. That's an absolute lie. Go to Romans 6 and 1. Romans 6 and 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, some people think that it shows the power of grace the more we sin. Here's what he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do we not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Can I tell you what is missing from our 21st century idea of God? The fear of the Lord. We don't, I feel like we're getting a revelation of the love of God and we needed that. We desperately needed a revelation of the love of God. Because if I'm not careful today, if I'm not anointed of the Lord today, My greatest concern is that I paint God to look more like the stoic meanness of this mask. And that's not what I want to paint. It's like this. When I was a boy, my dad worked second shift in the coal mines. I'm the son of a coal miner. My high school was 27 miles away from my home. So when we dismissed school, it was late in the evening before we would ever get home. And when time changed, oftentimes we wouldn't have just about 45 minutes to play outside before it was dark when we would get home. That's how it is living in the country, way back in the sticks. And most of the time during the week when I would see my dad would be the bus would pass him as it was taking us home, and he would be going to second shift working the coal mines. We would be in the bed when he would come home. But we loved the times when my dad was off work. 
We love hanging out with my dad. My dad is a soft, mild-mannered, gentle man. If you would be around my dad, he's not like me. I am loud. My dad, when you're in the room with him, you can't have hardly anything going on. And if you, if you do have anything going on, it's always, what? Huh? What did you say? Dad, will you speak up? My dad's been like that my whole life. You don't rattle his emotions easy. And my dad is a loving man. My dad would always hug us, pat us. He, he's just a gentle guy. I call my dad to date, and I, when I get ready to go off with the phone, he'll say, I want you to know I love you, Mike. I love you too, Dad. My dad's up, and he's, I think he's about 70, 71 now. My dad's been a, 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 a great guy. And most of the time, I love seeing my dad come home. Sometimes he would get off early. And if we'd be out playing, I could hear the vehicle coming up, what we called the holler. Y'all know what a holler is? It's a hollow. But if you're from where I come, it's the holler. We live two miles back up in the holler at the very, very end. And there's only one way in and one way out. We had a 1973 Olds Cutlass Supreme that my dad had a built 350 engine in it and it had glass packs for exhaust. I could hear my dad coming. And uh, you, you, after a while you get to where you just recognize the sound of the vehicle. And I'd be happy. It's cool to see dad because we just only saw him on the weekends and that would be even sometimes. Because you know how kids are. You get up on weekends and you go out and play after Saturday morning cartoons. And you didn't come in till dark. You didn't stay in your room. We were out in the woods building forts. We were playing fox and hounds. We were fighting. All kinds of things. And I loved seeing my dad come home. I, I did. But there were a few times that this same loving daddy struck terror in my heart. I remember one time I was about 10 years old. Again, we lived about two miles up in the hollow. At the very end of the hollow was a little store we would go to. And we'd walk, sometimes ride our bicycles. This particular day, there was a bunch of my buddies walking with us. And you know how kids are. When they don't know Jesus, they hadn't been brought up in church. They don't know about the things of God. And I was 10 years old, and most of my buddies was older than me. Most of them had already started smoking pot. Most of them was drinking and smoking cigarettes. So my mom and dad smoked cigarettes in the day, and I thought, well, they do it. My buddies do it. I'm going to do it. Now, I'd already received the words of don't you ever do that. So we're walking down the street. I mean, you know, when you're young, you're really dumb. Because in a holler like that, everybody knows everybody. Like, what are you doing walking down the street with a cigarette between your fingers? It's going to get back to the house. You know somebody's going to know it. But when you're young and you're with all your buddies, you're just doing your thing. And I was walking down the street, 
And I remember everybody was just laughing. We were saying all kinds of things, and I stuck it up to my mouth. About the time around the corner came my dad back home. And I got it up as he walked, and he looked right at me. As he, he didn't slam on the vehicle, the, the brakes. He didn't do anything, and I thought. But he looked right at me. There's no way he didn't see that. Let me tell you something. Out of every day that I was glad to go home, I dreaded the fact that I was going to be hungry and sleepy and need a place to go to bed and some dinner to eat. And we went home that day, and when I opened up the door, so help me, laying on the kitchen table were... Now, my brothers was with me, so we was all in this together. There was three switches lined up on the table. I'm going to tell you something. An education happened that day. That this same dad that went to work every day supplying my needs, that loved me dearly, was the same dad that was willing to say, if you're going to choose that, here's the consequence and I will follow through. I'm trying to tell you of a God who says, I love you like nobody else will ever love you, but I am trying to also tell you that I am holy and there's a line I'm not willing that you could cross and not have consequences. The Greek word for fear is the word phobio. It means terror. It means to be afraid. But here's the big thing. To have profound measure of respect for. One who commands respect. So let me give you some scripture, if you will. Let me just read some scripture for you here. Job 28 and 28 says, And to man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Proverbs 9 and 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 1 and 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 10 and 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened. Proverbs 14 and 27 says, the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. So now we've got wisdom, we've got knowledge, and the fountain of life, and that which prolongs days. How many know we need the fear of the Lord? To turn one away from the snare of death. What turns away you from the snare of death? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. I hear a lot about the love of God. That turns you away. Yes, but you have to have equal of both. If all of your thought processes is on the love of God, you know how the enemy works. He'll begin to start whispering to you, there's no consequence for the decision you're about to make. His love will get you through. I'm going to tell you right now, his love, my, my dad's love was enough for me to correct my rear end so that I understood there's a consequence when you do what I told you not to do. 
Even though my dad didn't know the Lord at the time, he was giving me an education that would be well with me right now as I serve God to take the warnings of God seriously. Psalms 112 and 1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commands. Psalm 128 and 4 says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Proverbs 8 and 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. You want to know if you have the fear of the Lord operating in your life? The question you might ask is, do you hate evil? And be honest with yourself when you ask that question. I said, be honest with yourself when you ask that question. Is this all right? Are you all okay this morning? I'm not doing my normal thing. I'm, I'm trembling before the Lord, trying my very best to be very articulate in what I'm saying by the anointing of the Spirit of God. And my hope is that I'm giving you something that, listen, if this makes me an unpopular preacher, it might be harder to grow this church. But I'd rather have people that understand the ways and the will of God and be honest before the Lord and get your sin truly dealt with before God and go to heaven and be thankful of all eternity than to have a room full of people who only want to hear things that tickle their ears. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. 2 Corinthians 7 and 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, that's New Testament. Did you notice the fear of the Lord is still mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament? So because Jesus come and God's love was demonstrated that he sent his love, does that mean we get rid of the fear of the Lord now? No, absolutely not. Hebrews 4 and 1 says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you esteem to come short of it. And Philippians 2 and 12 says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So let me ask you, is the fear of the Lord important? I can't hear you. Is the fear of the Lord important to your walk with God? If we're going to be a church that has the glory of God, we're going to be a church that fears the Lord. Because I read scriptures like this in Hebrews 6, 4 through 8, it says, Hebrews 6, 4 through 8 says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and berries, it is rejected near and near to being cursed whose end is 
to be burned. What am I saying to you, family? I'm trying to tell you that this 21st century idea of God should be in question in our minds. And we should learn to cultivate the fear of the Lord, not accommodate the fear of culture. We're to the point in the American church now and under pressure by being potentially cut off even from this broadcast, if I talk about things that the Bible explicitly condemns, the world is screaming out, affirmation, affirmation, affirmation. And God is screaming out, transformation, transformation, transformation. The world is putting this, this stranglehold on the church to conform, to change its language, to not preach the full counsel of God, and using every avenue. People who don't know how to truly study the Word of God but are smart people, but they don't know how to study the Word of God, begins to take the Word of God and twist. And, and they, don't know, they don't know linguistics. They cite linguistics is evolutionary. And it is evolutionary. And because it's evolutionary, it behooves us to go back to the original context and text that is being spoken. Because I can say to you, man, that jacket you got on is cool. I don't mean temperature. To not go back into the linguistics. You know, you hear people say, I don't like him preachers that use all that Greek and Hebrew stuff. Shame. Because that's what it was written in. And not modern Hebrew. And not modern Greek. Hello, somebody. Because language moves on. And what you got to do is take it back to some original. As original, if it was wrong in one generation, was it wrong in another generation and another generation and another generation? Not because it tends to shift and change. You got to look at its consistency. When God says that same-sex marriage and same-sex unions is ungodly, it remains ungodly to this day, family. It, it, and, and my heart breaks, my heart goes out, but it is not the will of God. It is not the will of God. I don't care who's tried to change it. People, you, say, you begin to cite to them Leviticus 18, where the Bible explicitly said it is abomination for a man to lie with a man as a woman or a woman to lie with a woman as with a man. The Bible says that's abomination. And some people have said, well, the, the word abomination doesn't mean that, and it means pedophilia, and it means this, and it means that. No, family, no. You hear this preacher. I am telling you that that's the pressure of the world but this word remains true you know what they'll cite they'll say well it also says in Leviticus you shouldn't eat shellfish and there's people Christians who don't know the answer to that well you're right it kind of says that and I like crab legs and I like shrimp so I gotta like this as well listen you have to understand that there are laws that are universal moral laws that was for all human beings 
around the world. And then there were dietary laws specific to the nation of Israel for the specificness of setting them apart from the other nations that they were going to go in and invade. So how do you know that that's true? God never sent the nation of Israel or proclaimed judgment upon a nation for eating crab legs or shrimp or those that had cloven hooks but didn't chew the cud. But he did for sexual perversion. He did for the murder of children. He did for the rape of women. You you, you just got to see... And people who don't know the word of God will fall victim to, well, you're right. I kind of like crab legs. So since I like crab legs, I ain't even going to say what I'm about to say. Spirit, help me. Man, this is strong. 21st century church, we think it's all right. We think it's all right to talk about one another, split up churches, backbite. We think it's all right to talk about and and, and gossip about one another because after all, we live in America. You got to say what's on your mind, right? person who says what's on their mind doesn't fear the Lord. Because my Bible says I got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. For God's children there's extreme safety and power in the fact that God is terrifying. Let me say that again. For God's children, it's extremely safe and powerful to have a God like our God. A God who is willing to be strong and mighty and have standards. But it's extremely terrifying to his enemies. The Christian fear of the Lord looks like this. We are terrified to be out of his presence. We are terrified to be distant from him. Not because he's so scary to us, but because he's so scary to the adversaries. You see, when I didn't have the cigarette to my lips... I would be, was happy to see my dad. And had I been not doing that that day, it would have been a great day to see my dad come home early. But because I wasn't doing it, my dad didn't change. I changed my position before him from the obedient child to the disobedient child. Proverbs 14 and 26 says, 
in the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will have a place of refuge. Isn't that powerful? He wants us to go to heaven. And if you truly have an encounter with him, you see, our, our job as leaders of this church is to authentically pursue, authentically serve, authentically pray, authentically honor God so that people have a true, authentic encounter with God. Because I'm convinced if you truly have an authentic encounter with God, if you truly, truly know the Lord, then there is nothing in the do not do's that you're not willing to do. But if you have not had an encounter with him, if all you've got is religion, if all you've got is an idea, then I understand why you try to get by with something. But my job is today is to hopefully uh, have God's anointing and his glory in the room so you can have an authentic encounter with God and recognize there is nothing in this world worth holding on to. Nothing. Preta, can you come back to the keys, please? Thank you. Revelation 21 and 6. Verse 6 through 8 says, and he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give you the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God. and He shall be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, The murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I want to unmask God for you today. And I want you to know, I've said this many times. Yes, he's more loving than you think he is. He's more gracious than you think he is. He's more powerful than you think he is. But let me add to that. He's more treacherous than you think he is. I'm not here to try to spark fear in your heart for the sake of trying to make God something that he's not. Again, typically when I saw my daddy, it was like, yes. Because my dad sometimes is like a kid with us boys run through the house I remember one time as we was getting older we went on a walk through the woods there's a place that went up to some old coal mines and uh, that were shut down the old gravel road was there and he was walking with us boys there's three of us me, I'm the oldest my two brothers Scotty and Billy and uh my dad's tall. I, I took back after my mom's side of the family. I'm the shortest, even though I'm the oldest. My middle brother's tall and slim like my dad. My dad's tall, slim man. My baby brother's even taller. He's like my dad's side of the family in height, but he's a good-sized young man. I'm short. <laughs> and mostly broad. 
and being that, you know, I still was faster than my brothers. Maybe it's because I was older. I could run faster than they could. Sports was my thing. So I get this arrogant thing. I'm like, Dad, I'm going to outrun you. Now, I've never seen my dad move fast except for in the house, just a little bit here and there. Most of his actions are pretty slow. If you would watch my dad eat, it would drive you nuts. My dad chews every bite no less than 20 times. Like, dude, do you sit there and count that? And man, it's painstaking to watch. But I decided, I can outrun you, old man. So he said, I'll take off. I'll give you a head start. Man, I was probably length of this room ahead of him. Like, ain't no way he's catching me. Takes off running, and he smokes me by about three lengths of this room. We were headed to one curve. And me and my brother's like, whoa, did you see Joe Booker kicking chickens just now? That was unbelievable. Couldn't believe that. It's great to hang out with my dad a lot. Wish we could have done more of it. I'm telling you stories about my dad that kind of somehow relate to God that God in His presence is truly fullness of joy. At His right hand is truly pleasures evermore. But in the face of His judgment, in the face of His judgment, there's no more terrifying place to ever be. Nowhere. So you need to get rid of this 21st idea of God. Look at your preacher. Look at your preacher. Look at your pastor. I want to say this right up front to you. It is still against the plan and the will of God to live in fornication. Do you know what fornication is? It's sex outside of marriage. That's still sin, friends. Adultery, that's still sin. Now, there's some things you'll get on board with. If I say adultery, if I start saying pedophilia, you'll get on board with. But there's some people who think that the Bible just a little bit old school. It's 21st century. I should be able to get me some when I want it, with who I want it, at any time I want it. If that's too straight up for you, friends, I'm not going to apologize. I love you too much to stand on this stage and lie to you. If you think it's all right to backbite your brothers and sisters across the room, friend, I'm going to tell you right now, that's still sin. Lying and cheating, doping, drinking, carousing. Friends, listen to your preacher. You don't want to step into the face of God's judgment in eternity in that situation. And I want you to encounter God, not just come to a good church, but encounter God. You can come to a church, and if we avoid enough topics, you'll feel real good continuing to live in sin and think it's okay. But when I stand before God, 
Do you know how much more severe judgment comes upon some teacher who doesn't tell the truth? The Bible says there's got to be few teachers among you because they'll have a strict judgment. And I love you, but you're not worth eternity for. I love you, but you're not worth me looking in the face of my God and him say, you did not tell them, Michael. You were too afraid. You were too intimidated. The culture got to you, son. I said, oh, no, I want to be able to say, God, if nobody loved me, if everybody walked away from me, if nobody ever wanted to worship with me again, I'll still tell them the truth. I tremble before you today, not because I'm mad, not because I'm upset, but I am frustrated at the devil because we talk about a God we don't encounter. We talk about a power we don't even know because we're compromising. We talk about miracles. We talk about the power of God, but we rarely ever see them. We can't show them to our children. Why? Because we're constantly inundated and find ourselves immersed in a culture that's lying about God. I want to take the mask off of God and say he is still good. He is still holy. He is still righteous. He still has a standard. He is still powerful. He still will defeat the enemy. And he still will stand and look at you in the face and say, I loved you with an everlasting love. I love. I gave my son for you, but I will not compromise for you. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60 verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.